I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future, and it's wonderful to be back with you again for another week of the Future Quake Show. Uh, unfortunately, our good friend Tom Bionic will not be able to set in uh, during our interview period of time this week. He was called away at the last minute to uh, some urgent meetings he had to be at, but he will be joining us at the end of the week for tomorrow's Tremors, and will be calling in via remote uh, satellite hookup, and uh, we'll be uh, getting back together, get the team back together for Friday's show. But we have a fantastic show this week, one you're really going to enjoy. Uh, we have uh, one of our favorite guests, Tom Horn, who's come back again. Uh, you know him for so many different hats as the head of Raiders News Network, uh, Defender Publishing Group, uh, Survivor Mall, and many other things. But uh, he's coming to us as an author this week, talking about his latest book, Apollyon 2012, the lost symbol found and the final mystery of the great seal revealed. And we're going to talk about America's purpose and end time prophecy and its imminent conclusion revealed. And uh, he can only cover so much material in this brief interview. His book is so jam-packed with new information. I highly recommend everyone get it. Go to the link at futurequake.com and order the book, and you'll hear why. So here's our new first segment. We have our new interview with Tom Horn, and we'll be right back for a quick wrap-up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future, and I'm going solo this week. Uh, our friend brother Tom was called away to parts unknown, and uh, he wants to send his best wishes and greetings to the Future Quake audience out there. But we have another Tom with us, an, another beloved Tom to the Future Quake audience. Uh, this week we have Tom Horn, uh, who has many hats, but is the author of the new book, Apollyon 2012, the Lost Symbol Found and the Final Mystery of the Great Seal Revealed. And we're going to talk this week about America's purpose in end-time prophecy and its imminent conclusion revealed. Uh, Brother Tom, I want to welcome you back to another visit to the Future Quake show. And I know that any of your shows that you've been with us are, is going to be a barn burner. <laughs> well, listen, thanks for having me on. I always love coming on with you. Well, this is uh, this is going to be another show that people are going to want to keep and pass around to other people, maybe listen to a few times, because there's so much information you're going to have to share with us. You know, this is normally the point where I usually slather some kind of effusive praise on you, which is very sincere, uh, because not only are you a preeminent researcher, as people are going to see uh, in our discussion today, uh, as well as an author and a publisher of alternative Christian subjects like we focus on here at Future Quake, but but you're a real leader and mentor of what I call a fledgling community of uh, younger, very bright prophecy students, as well as some, some very seasoned credential scholars uh, that also publish underneath you, uh, in addition to your guidance of uh, the Raiders News Network site and also as head of the Defender uh, Publishing Empire, and as well as Survivor Mall as well. Uh, since time is short, I want to suggest our newer listeners check out your earlier visits in our archives at futurequake.com, and they can learn more details about you, because we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, you've now recently published the book that, that you have said is the most important work you have ever accomplished in your career in ministry, which is entitled Apollyon Rising 2012. Uh, since the research you disclosed in this new book is different from anything else you've done in the past, from, from what I can tell, what have, what got you involved in studying the year 2012, of all things? It's a very controversial issue. 
and why are your findings radically different from what others have said? Yeah, you know, it's 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 very interesting, Mike. I mean, I, I did not set out to study or write about the year 2012. Uh, of course, like, you know, most people, if you're in the world and you're alive, you've heard of it, and you know it has something to do with the Mayan long count calendar and the end of the Mayan calendar on December 21st, 2012, and that it's supposed to portend catastrophic events. Um, but the truth was, I mean, I, I've actually been doing extensive research in other areas over the last decade, as you know, biotech, the watchers, and we've done some shows on that. Um, but, but a couple of times while um, uh, researching these other areas, the year 2012 popped up, and finally a couple of different 2012 references that I hadn't seen or heard uh, anywhere else in the 2012 research community came up, and a couple of them seem to be important to me, which we can, you know, we'll quickly summarize, hopefully here at the beginning of the show, but I wondered if there was info uh, on this that was significant and that the world so far was unaware of that might connect the year 2012 to supernaturalism. And so, you know, as you mentioned, I am, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be the owner of uh, a publishing house, and I have access to a lot of scholars. Um, people who are like yourself, who are physicists, uh, others who work in molecular biology, or, ha- or that's where their official training is, others who are uh, experts in ancient history like Mike Heiser and Dr. Don Jones and people like that. Uh, so I- I'm, in a- I'm in this unique position to have access to great minds greater than my own and was able to say, hey, I, I think I found a couple of things that have to do with the year 2012, and I want others to look at this and tell me, do you, am, I, am I on something here, or is this just a, a unique coincidence? Of course, uh, you, if you've read the book, Apollyon Rising 2012, you know that David Flynn also um, contributed a significant amount of information to my research. But what I did, uh, Mike, and you're, you may be unaware of this, or maybe, maybe you are aware of this, I, I put out this plea about, oh, maybe a year ago now, uh, in which I said, can anybody tell me if there's any connection between the year 2012 and American history or specifically the great seal of the United States of America? There was a very unique reason I'll mention in a moment why I did that. And my first responses from everybody uh, was, no, I don't know of any connection between the year 2012. So I started Googling, uh, you know, Yahoo, I'm doing a searching online everywhere. I'm going to all of the people who are supposed to be the experts on 2012. I'm not finding any connection with them and uh, American history in 1776. So finally, I decided that what I had found was simply not out there yet. And then I've decided, okay, if I'm going to include this in a book that I'm working on right now, this information about 2012, I want to know, is there other information, maybe related to prophecy, other cultures? Is this just a Mayan or Mesoamerican phenomenon? Did it extend to other cultures around the world? And basically what happened was God sent me the right people, I believe, and I was able to put together information that's fresh, it's new, I've been doing radio shows around the world. I'm scheduled to do. I've already done a couple of television shows. I'm scheduled to do some others. And there's a real wow factor uh, with this information that it's it's done well. It's based on good scholarship and it's fresh. I mean, it's brand new. It's not a lot of the same, uh, you know, ad nauseum redundancy that has been parroted so far in the 2012 research community. So I'm really proud of what we were able to do, and it certainly was the result of being able to rely on a lot of great minds like your own. Hmm. 
Well, you, you know, you uh, you mentioned the, the 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 Mayan prophecies, and and you say that they actually connect the beginning of the United States, even though they existed long before our nation existed. They connect the beginning of the United States in that time period with their beliefs surrounding the year 2012. Can, can you explain how that could be? <laughs> yeah, they absolutely do, and that was actually one of the most fantastic discoveries. Well, let me let me just give you a couple of quick bullet examples of what we found I think that was fresh or that was new now because I have a blog site I started blogging over a year ago about some of our discoveries and some of that has been picked up since in the in the um, you know in the 2012 community online such as the Hindu Kali Yuga calendar starting also during the Mayan fifth grade cycle and these of course are you know is a culture that was separated by distance and time from the Mayans but they also focused on the year 2012 uh, and as far as America, we also found here in the United States what is called the Cherokee Rattlesnake Prophecies. This comes from scholarship to a scholar of, a, of a Indian, an actual Indian scholar, uh, wrote about what they called the Chickamauguan Prophecies or the Cherokee Star Constellation Prophecies, which was a whole series of apocalyptic prophecies that were made by the American Cherokee tribe approximately 200 years ago in the 1800s. Uh, and their prophecies, very similar, by the way, to Mesoamerican belief uh, about the return of their feathered rattlesnake, which I think is very uh, almost uh, suspiciously similar to the feathered serpent sure. god Quetzalcoatl. Um, but they, too, like the Maya, based on what they understood about the astrological bodies and the movement of the stars, uh, they prophesied re- concerning the alignment of Jupiter and Venus and Orion and Pleiades and how these powers would be at odds with each other in the year 2012. And anyway, as a result of those uh, prophecies, they too, like the Maya, set their calendar to end in the year 2012. But as we were going along and we were making some of these discoveries, some I made on my own, others that were sent to me by scholarship that I had appealed to, um, there were a couple of discoveries that stood out above everything else. The first one uh, we'll talk about in just a moment, but during the time I'm doing the research for this book, and by the way, I wound up with 6,000 pages, actually over (laughs) 6,000 pages, 6,000 pages, man. I have stuff stacked everywhere in my office. Well, well, now, will you you release the exhaustive version of the book later? Oh, you know what? I've told people I am absolutely not that popular. Nobody's going to buy a 6,000-page book by Tom Horn, and they're not going to buy a series by me. So <laughs> I had to just, I had to, I had to compress it all down uh, into one version. Now you and I, and by the way, this will be yeah. the first show tonight where we talk about some of the, some of the additional information having to do with the lost symbol, the true lost symbol in Washington D.C. Um, and um, uh, so I'm excited about that. If I if I do some additional writing on this subject, I'll probably pick it up there. Okay. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Let me give you these other two illustrations real quick, and I'll move on. Uh, I was sitting in my office one day, and the telephone rang, and on the other end of the line was uh, Dr. J.R. Church, prophecy in the news, right. known, you know, respected Bible scholar. And um, he said, Tom, he said, I understand that you are looking for information related to the year 2012 that hasn't been repeated elsewhere. He said, were you aware that in the Zohar, which is, of course, probably the most important work of Jewish Kabbalah, mysticism books, uh, these were written in medieval Aramaic about 700 years ago. He said, were you aware in the Vieira section, which is towards the end, 
of the of the Zohar. He said that that in the uh, chapter called uh, section 34, actually. Um, called the signs heralding Mashiach, or the coming of the Messiah. He said, were you aware that these 700-year-old Jewish mystics prophesied that their Messiah, get this, that their Messiah would return, or would arrive on earth in late 2012? And i got to tell you, Mike, Amazing. I mean, when he, when he said that, uh, because I've read the Zohar, and, but I never saw that, and that grabbed me. And uh, I said, you have got to be kidding. So I opened up an electronic version of the Zohar. He opened up one. He took me to um, Volume 3, Section 34, the Science Heralding Meshach, and he starts walking me through it. But how I had missed this in the past, and I think the way everybody else missed it, is because they're talking about dates based on the Jewish calendar. And they set the date at 5773, which is, of course, in our calendar, uh, it starts in the new moon of September 2012. That's right. And then concludes a year later. And so, um, was just the most extraordinary thing. I'll give you a quick, uh, a glimpse out of this prophecy. Here's what it says, quote, in the year, uh, 5773 or 2012, 2013, the kings of the world will assemble in the great city of Rome and the Holy One will shower on them fire and hail and meteor, meteoric stones until they are destroyed with the exception of those who will not yet have arrived there. And from that time, the Messiah will begin to declare himself, and round him there will be gathered many nations and many hosts from the uttermost ends of the earth, end quote. So here, uh, you know, you have, you have the Maya in their time frame, you have the Hindu Kali, uh, I mean, you have the Hindus in their Kali Yuga calendar. Another period of time, you have Jewish mystics 700 years ago. Uh, 800 and some years ago, you have a Catholic prophet by the name of Malachi O'Morgare, or St. Malachi, as he's known to the Catholics, who gave an almost identical prophecy of, the, of what the, the, um, uh, the Jews said in the Zohar, in that he also talked about uh, all of the popes, from Celestine II to the final pope, who will be called Peter the Roman, who is the next pope, following the right. current pope, Benedict XVI, is the next pope, and in his prophecy... He says the city of seven hills will be destroyed and the terrible and fearsome judge will judge his people. So what happened, Mike, was we started finding that around the world, in different cultures separated by time and distance, and as far as we know, who did not have an ability to easily or even at all to communicate with one another, certainly didn't have any oral uh, history being passed down insofar as we know, um, prophesying a very, very similar prophecy that when we hit the year 2012, you're going to have the return of the gods, or the god, or the messiah, or the feathered rattlesnake, or the feathered uh, Quetzalcoatl. Uh, similar prophecies that are apocalyptic. The earth is going to go through a great shaking, a great time of trial. Uh, it's going to face judgment, and then following the judgment, you're going to have this millennial reign of peace, if you will. So it's very similar to biblical eschatology, evangelical eschatology, uh, concerning a time of great tribulation, followed by judgment, uh, or ending with judgment, and then followed by a time of transformation or peace on earth. So it was just, it was just this thing that we discovered. But now, to get to, by the way, David Flynn also, uh, wrote about how even Jesus himself may have marked the year 2012 as prophetic. 
Hmm. Um, and that having to do with the word aeon, of course, as it was in the right. days of Noah, when will be the end of the world, the aeon, which is the Greek word that you would use to refer to a Milky Way alignment. So anyway, so there was all of that, but it was it was this discovery that really caused me to write this book. And had it not been for this discovery, I would have written a book. I would not have written this book. It was this discovery that 500 years ago, approximately, the most um, important Mayan prophet, the Chilambalam, this is the jaguar shaman. He's their most important prophet at that time, um, prophesied about the year 2012. But he tied it specifically to the year 1776. Now, how I came upon this discovery, Mike, was that I was already studying and already intending to write about the Great Seal of the United States of America based on some things that George Bush had said and some other things that I'd been blogging about, writing about in News with Views and World Net Daily and other places. So I was already collecting information on this. And uh, But when I kept seeing this year 2012, this was when I sent out this feeler to these various scholars in their own right saying, can anybody tell me if there's a connection between the year 2012 and the great seal of the United States or American history? Well, nobody could, but on my own as I was searching, I came across a piece of, uh, of uh, scholarship uh, uh, that had been done by an academic by the name of Richard Luxon. He had more than a decade ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, he had um, translated and annotated the Book of the Kumiel, the council book of the Yucatec Maya. This was the elders' book of the Maya. Mm-hmm. And it had been written down over a period of 100 years, started in 1539 all the way through 1638. So it was a very long period of time. Well, it, And this was their council book. And it contains prophecies, prophecies concerning their, their calendars and their baktuns and katuns and tunes and winalls and kins. <laughs> and all of this, of course, extraordinarily uh, confusing to a, a man of, of meager mental capacity such as myself. So I really had to get into this to try to understand what was being said. But in the translation of the Book of the Kumiel, it's really not complicated. Richard Luxton, he does not say in this book, by the way, whether or not he's a Christian, so I don't know. But he mm-hmm. certainly translated and annotated the book in a way that made me believe that he was a Christian. And in particular, when he focused on the Katun 13, this is the final 13-stepped countdown of the Mayan calendar. A Katun is 19.7 years. And he noted how that the prophet tied this to the year 1776, and that stood out to me. So here I had my first discovery that Maya had viewed the same year as the founding of this country, and actually the prophet actually referred to it as the colonial count, 1776. But this uh, Richard Luxton, in interpreting the symbols that are in these complex Maya Mayan sim- uh, symbolism, he notes how it is intermingled with what he called elements of the Christian last judgment. And he further noted in his annotations that it, whether or not the paradigm that the prophet was looking at was intended to focus the year 1776 on the year 2012, that how, how in his mind that was an open question, but it was an, he was suspicious enough about it that he decided to put it in his notes in this book. Well, 
But, Mike, when I became aware of this nearly 500-year-old Mayan prophecy connecting the Colonial Count 1776 with the final 13 cartoons of their calendar ending in the year 2012 and how academia was viewing that as a mirror of the countdown of the Christian Last Judgment, I wanted to know if those who were responsible for some of the design and layout of Washington, D.C., um, the streets, the Capitol Dome, whatever I might be able to find, and especially the Great Seal of the United States, were they aware of this Mesoamerican belief system? And if they were, did they incorporate it, uh, incorporate it into some of this design? Did it have esoteric meaning to them? Hey, Tom, Brother Tom, if I could interrupt you just briefly. Here. Um, we're, we're coming to the end of our first segment, our first day's uh, segment uh, interview here. And for our newer listeners uh, who may not be aware where we're going with this, I just want to mention briefly that uh, Brother Tom Horn here is a minister of the gospel, uh, is a preacher, uh, talks clearly about the faith here, and he's going in a direction with this. Uh, he is going. To, what we're talking about today, I'm not trying to steal your thunder here, uh, Tom, but uh, for our listeners who may just be joining us today, he is taking information from various sources that is going to come back and shed interesting light on our understanding for those of us who are prophecy students in the Bible uh, to help interpret what's going on around us in light of Bible prophecy in a brand new, fresh way. And the other things he's going to say, and I don't want to, again, steal his thunder here, is that he's going to shed light on how people who have a different worldview and different allegiance than ourselves as Bible-believing Christians, what what they believe and what is motivating them and the activities that they're doing and are underway. And you will be shocked to find out the people who are in alliance with them to help bring about what their goal is for the end times. And it's very important for us to recognize and see what their plans and activities are. And Brother Tom's work is going to shed tremendous light on this. So I want to tell our listeners, uh, if you're just tuning in this first day, you need to catch this entire uh, segment all this week to be able to fully understand how Brother Tom's going to pull this together. So sorry to interrupt you there. Uh, proceed with uh, how this information has been taken uh, from, from North America. Yeah, uh, and by the way, I would want to add to what you said because that's very important. I would certainly not want anybody... Uh, to um, believe that I think that, first of all, th- that anything the Maya had said is on a par with biblical authority, because I don't. Um, and I'm, I'm a very biblical literalist. I'm a very fundamentalist, if you will. I'm, a, I'm an orthodox evangelical. Um, my interest in this had to do with there seemed to be a kind of harmony, and most scholars of, of the Bible and, and prophecy and eschatology understand that sometimes... Uh, even evil spirits, even pagan power, can understand dispensationalism. You know, in the New Testament, the demons say to Jesus, have you come to torment us before the time? Illustrating that they had a kind of understanding right. about uh, certain dispensations of ages. You also have uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Apollinian priestess. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament, the Sibyl, following the Apostle Paul around, saying these men have come uh, to show us the way, and he winds up casting a demon out of her <laughs> because she's trying to somehow join herself to them in order to take credit. You have Janus and Jambres in the Old Testament who can perform miracles mm-hmm. and who withstand Moses. So my point about all of this was when I saw this 2012 and all these different ancient cultures, they seem to be tuning in on something uh, and, 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 and therefore, I thought perhaps they were somehow um, aware of 
when eschatological, biblically-based uh, prophecy might start unfolding. They some, seem to somehow maybe be aware of that and try to join themselves to it. Maybe why? As a form of great deception or something. I don't know. So, But I would want people to know that I don't place any of these prophecies, not the Maya, not the Hindus, not the Cherokee, uh, not Mother Shipton, not anybody, not Nostradamus, not anybody on a par with the authority of the Scriptures. Uh, and the second thing I do is I don't set dates. And I think it's unwise to set dates. Um, this year, 2012, just seems to have many cultures who have a belief system, a confluence of events that seem to be moving toward this period in time. And frankly, what I believe is it could be a setup for a great deception, which we will come to mm -hmm. later. But I would, I would want to join what you said and make sure people understand that uh, Tom Horn's not setting dates, and I certainly don't place Mayan mm -hmm. prophecies on a par with the Bible. Well, I think there's two key points it, it, when you proceed with our story here. One, one is the forces of darkness do not set idle. They are not purely reactionary if things that go on. That does not mean God is not sovereign, in charge, and control uh, of what happens. But they have their goals, their agendas, their activities. Uh, they are in rebellion. They, they think they can resist the will of God, and they take their actions accordingly. And secondly, you, you've looked at these different cultures, and as people get your book, they're going to see more exhaustively the common theme, the template that overlaps these very different cultures with very slight nuances. And, and you, when you mentioned that they didn't have communications with each other, you know, the, the one area where I guess I could draw them all back to where they were together with a common set of data was back at the tower. Uh, that the tower is where we see in the Bible where everyone was dispersed and went to the corners of the earth. So it would be natural over the millennia that they would retain some kind of common knowledge with, with maybe a little data transfer lost along the way from one yeah. generation to the next. But you're, you're seeing evidence of this uh, in these cultures that are on different continents that, that maybe there's a route back to that, that same kind of area. I don't want to get ahead of you, but you know, that's the way I interpret what your findings are. No, I'm, and, and you're right on target because, Mike, the whole point about all of this is it actually does take us back to the people who were the builders, specifically Nimrod, Apollo, Osiris, Gilgamesh, whatever name you want to know him by, this great rebel against God who was the builder of the Tower of Babel. Uh, this is really what all of this goes back to. If you've read my book, of course, you know that. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future, uh, flying solo this week. And we hope you enjoyed the first segment with uh, Brother Tom Horn. Uh, you'll never get more information packed per minute of listening than you will on a Tom Horn interview. Uh, and I've never seen him as excited about work as what he's done and uncovered in this work. But I can tell you ahead of time, it's going to be a hard teaching, uh, particularly for many of our brethren in evangelical circles who have had a certain view about our country and an idealized view about it. Um, but I think he's really on to something here, and I think as you listen the rest of the week, you're going to find that out. And I'm glad that we clarified at the end of this first show for our new listeners that uh, what he's coming around to is taking data from around the world that actually reinforces a biblical worldview of Bible prophecy, of which you're going to hear about more in the rest of this week. But if you'd like to give us some comments, Murph can tell you now how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet 
and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We've got to go. We'll come back tomorrow for the next segment with Tom Horn. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And as I said before yesterday, uh, going solo this week, uh, Tom Bionic, our beloved co-host, uh, could not be with us at the last minute. Another engagement that he had to uh, go to came up, but he'll we'll see him again on Friday. But um, we're having a, a discussion, a wonderful discussion this week with Tom Horn, uh, who, amongst many of his uh, roles, is the author of a new book out called Apollyon 2012, The Lost Symbol Found and the Final Mystery of the Great Seal Revealed. Uh, which is quite a dramatic title for a very dramatic book. And the topic of our discussion this week is America's Purpose in End-Time Prophecy and its Imminent Conclusion Revealed. And uh, Brother Tom not only will reveal uh, a unique role of America and some of the key players in its history and founding, uh, how it affects world history and culture, and a plan that's been set in, uh, in activity for literally millennia, um, but we're going to learn some specifics that suggest that the next three years are going to be probably the most momentous years in the history of mankind. So I'll let you judge for yourself. We're going to transition from the uh, evidence we had last uh, show about the Mayans and some of the other world cultures about uh, the end of days coming up and now taking it to North America and some of the players, people that we know that are famous, that actually had something amazing to use that information for. So uh, here's Tom Horn in our next segment of our interview with him, and then we'll be right back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. The bottom line was that was the first discovery. That was the great discovery that caused me to write this book in the way that I did was that I found a 500-year-old Mayan prophecy tying the colonial count 1776 to the year 2012, I found Christian scholarship that two decades ago, before 2012 was even a phenomenon, had asked the question, is this a countdown towards the Christian last judgment? And actually put it in, in biblical uh, eschatological interpretation, and yet looking at a Mayan prophecy. So I found that. I wanted to know were the framers of the United States, at least those, not the framers but necessarily, but at least those who were uh, involved in particular with the design and layout of Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, the great seal of the United States of America. I know you've interviewed Chris Pinto on many cases. I should let people know that the award-winning filmmaker Christian Pinto, who's done so much fantastic research into the design and layout of Washington, D.C., actually wrote the introduction for my book, I was very honored to have him do that, and of course all of us have benefited uh, from his research in this regard as well. But I wanted to know if if these people, who the Rosicrucians, those adepts of Francis Bacon, who believed that the forming of the United States was uh, the 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 you know the the goal towards the dawn of the new Atlantis, I wanted to know were they aware 
of these Mesoamerican beliefs. If they were, did they incorporate it into what they did? And that was what we were able to find. If a person reads this book, Apollyon Rising 2012, they'll find uh, different uh, illustrations in which we prove, and at least in one case, irrefutably, that the Freemasons were aware of this belief system and the year 2012. As a matter of fact, I'll just say it real, real quickly, that they, the Freemasons and the Jesuits, this is part of American history, actually sent, in 1854, they financed a trip by the official government painter, uh, Constantino Brumidi, to go to Mexico where he made copious notes of the Aztec calendar stone, which ends in the year 2012. And then uh, he went there, he made his notes. Immediately upon re returning from Mexico, he takes his notes to Quartermaster General Montgomery C. Meigs, who was the supervisor of construction over the wings and dome of the United States Capitol. Immediately he begins painting inside the U.S. Capitol dome. And right there, uh, in the frieze of American history, which sits just beneath the apotheosis of George Washington, which I think we'll have time to talk about tonight, um, he paints in the frieze of the American history the famous part of his painting where Montezuma is being met by uh, Cortez, and the symbolism in that painting is uh, fabulous. He paints the Aztec calendar stone, which ends in the year 2012. He's got Montezuma's hand gesturing down toward the sacred fire, which ends in the year 2012. He's got the Maltese cross, which is tied to both the Jesuits and the Freemasons and Malta and the beginning of, of the uh, kingdom of Osiris. I mean, the, the symbolism couldn't speak more loudly in that he is, he is revealing to us that they were very, very aware of this year 2012. And I believe that that knowledge... Uh, then lends to why they designed the Great Seal of the United States of America in the way they did. If you look at the Great Seal, it basically is a repeat of the Mayan prophecy. At the base of the uncapped uh, pyramid, you have in Roman numerals the year 1776 with a 13-stepped pyramid uncapped counting down toward the return of the of the god uh, and this based on the prophecies that are on the great seal this was a god who basically was the founder of freemasonry osiris harima beef apollo uh and uh, uh but but so what i found in 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 these 500 year old Mes uh, uh, mesoamerican prophecies mayan prophecies fit perfectly with what was on the great seal of the united states and i needed to know mike that the free, that this wasn't just a colossal coincidence that the Freemasons actually were aware of that belief system and of course anybody who wants to travel today to Washington D.C. take a tour go inside the U.S. Capitol Dome look up at the frieze of American history and there it is in all of its grandeur the Aztec calendar stone that ends in the year 2012 with all of the other symbolism that refers to the end of uh, time at the year 2012 so um there, there are some other things in the book, and we'll talk about some other material tonight if we have time. But that was the first great discovery, that great wow moment, that great aha moment, which had not been stated as far as I know and still hasn't except for the research that we did uh, that then opened the door to these thousands of pages of research. And then you have to begin asking the, maybe even the more important question, what is this symbolism? 
Why did they adapt it into their belief system? What is it pointing toward? And that's where evangelical Christians may have their ears perk up because it very much does fit with New Testament biblical prophecy about the end of time and what will be happening at the end of time. Hmm. You know, you know this particular finding about uh, the fact that this gentleman was commissioned and sent to specifically look uh, to this culture to find this evidence of this calendar and then come back and reproduce it. If there, if there was not a smoking gun evidence, I don't know what would be. Uh, when I read that, I thought this one fact alone is is worth the, the value of this all this research. And believe me, it's chocked full. There's over 300 references, I recollect, in the book itself of information that you find. But it becomes extremely hard to deny that they, they put an hourglass or a clock in the top of our temple. Uh, as you so clearly state in your writing, it was understood by, by our founders that the Capitol building was meant to be, in effect, an American temple. Uh, and inside our temple, the, the icons that we have uh, includes those who we choose to deify, uh, the way that they're deified, the relationship to the rest of the world with it, and that there's a clock uh, in which all this is going to come to pass, this, quote, great work. Uh, is there more that you can share with us about the Great Seal of the United States? Can, can you elaborate further on that? Yeah, well, we could spend the rest of the show just on that. And the truth is, it's not just uh, Tom Horn saying that. I mean, even vice presidents, um, presidents of the United States, uh, I'm sure on your show you've interviewed um, uh, Christian Pinto, Chris Pinto, uh, you know, talking about the history in his new film, Eye of the Phoenix, where Henry, Henry Wallace, the Secretary of Agriculture for the United States, becomes intrigued with the meaning behind the Great Seal. And he had been a disciple of Agni Yogi, uh, Society founder uh, Nicholas Rorick. And, and all of these people were focused on apocalyptic themes surrounding the coming of a new earthly order, a new world order. And uh, so Henry Wallace, being a 32nd degree Freemason, goes to his boss, you know, Franklin D. Roosevelt, president, himself a 32nd degree Mason, shows him the great seal of the United States, and they both agree that it is a prophecy. The, first of all, they both agree that the, that the all-seeing eye over the top of the uncapped pyramid refers to their God, the great architect of the universe. They secondarily agree that it is a prophecy, or at least Henry Wallace did, um, that it is a prophecy about the return of this God who will give birth to a new world order. And what people, and by the way, this is, this is in their own, uh, this is in their own words, it's in their own writings, it's in their own, um, uh, uh, books that they wrote about themselves. And so, um, it's not just Tom Horn saying that. But in these prophecies, what is now known is that Wallace viewed this unfinished pyramid of the all Singai as a prophecy about how America, out of chaos, would become the capital of the world. And when the United States assumed its position as the new capital of the world, then this grand architect would return, and metaphorically the all-seeing eye would be fitted atop the Great Seal Pyramid as the finished apex stone, etc., etc. Well, what, what Christians need to understand is that the prophecy on the Great Seal, Novus Ordo Seclorum, comes from the prophecy of the Cume Sibyl, an Apollinian priestess from Virgil's poetic text, uh, in which she prophesies how Apollo, the god Apollo in Greece, 
is the same as the Egyptian god Osiris. And all of the symbolism on the Great Seal, the symbolism points to Osiris, the mottos point to Apollo. Um, her prophecy points to how he will return at the end of time and give birth to a new world order. That's where the term comes from on the Great Seal of the United States. And, and also, uh, Mike, it's interesting to note that the greatest authorities on Earth, Robert Hieronymus, who is very much a new mm -hmm. ager, but is, con but is considered to be the world's foremost authority on the symbolism of the reverse side of the Great Seal. Um, other, uh, you know, uh, what's his name, who wrote um, the, um, the Secret Architecture, of, uh, of America. I can't think of his name, but in any case, his work was endorsed by the 33rd degree. Mm -hmm. uh, David, uh, David Ovison, is that who you're Thank you, David, yeah. David Ovison. Um, they, both of these men say unequivocally that the models on the Great Seal are a prophecy about the return of a pagan god. They both say that in their works. So this is not something Tom Horn's making up. This is exactly what the models on the Great Seal are. But who is? this pagan god and why is you know why did we choose to set um the uh, colonies at 13 why did we choose to sign the declaration of independence at 1776 why does all of this match perfectly with a 500 year old mayan prophecy tying the final 13 stepped countdown toward the year 2012 upon the great seal over which hovers the the eye of this all-seeing god of this all-powerful solar deity uh, who will return at some point in the future. It's also not um, original with Tom Horn that the 13 steps on the pyramid on the Great Seal represent units of time. Scholarship has written about that um, for the last 200 years, that these 13 steps represent units of time. We just didn't know what units of time until we wrote this book, Apollyon Rising 2012, and discovered their knowledge of the Mayan countdown, 19.7 years, 1776, ending in the year 2012. So, now, does Tom Horn believe that this god of the Freemasons, of the Rosicrucians, is going to return in the year 2012? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it appears that this is what they believed, and it's what they are committed to. And if you look at uh, even the, um, the presidential speeches by even George Bush, who referred to the Novus Ordo Seclorum, he said as an ancient dream that is meant to be fulfilled. He said that in his State of the Union address, that this is an ancient dream, a scheme, a plan, and it is meant to be fulfilled. Well, they believe that. They believe that it's meant to be fulfilled. Why should Christians care? Because the Novus Ordo Seclorum from the Cume Sibyl is a prophecy about the return of Apollo. Why is that important? Because in the New Testament, in more than one place, this spirit is identified as the very spirit that will inhabit the Antichrist, who will give birth to a new world order. Paul said of the coming of Antichrist that he would be the son of perdition. And the Greek word perdition is apollia, apollyon, <laughs> apollo. Uh, John said that the beast will rise up out of the bottomless pit and enter into perdition, apollia, apollyon, apollo. So, ladies and gentlemen, on, on the great seal of the United States of America, if you are an American, this has to be important to you, and if you are a Christian, this has to be extraordinarily important to you. The prophecies on the great seal of the United States of America uh, are looking toward the return of Apollia, Apollyon, Apollo, the very spirit that will inhabit the Antichrist, 
who gives birth to a new world order. And look around the world now. You know, the other thing, Mike, that I found that was very interesting about all of this research is that you, you can focus on the year 2012 and all these ancient cultures and all these pagan influences focusing on this year, how they were looking forward to the return of their gods, whether it's Bolan Yakteku of the Mayans, who is the underworld god, or whatever, other gods. But, but now take this and move it into Christian eschatology and look at the current sense among the world's modern populations and how the world is clamoring for a savior. In fact, the election of President Obama, which I write about extensively in this book, was proof to me that the world is ready now for the coming of a savior. And it could be a gigantic setup because people want somebody to come us, come and save us, right, from our financial chaos, from our political chaos. It could be a gigantic setup for the coming of somebody and remember, in the year 2012, we'll have a new U.S. president. Right. We'll have a new leader of the United Nations. There is a confluence of events that is moving towards the year 2012. And even NASA, who's been out there blasting the movie 2012, and I can't believe they spent all these resources, and they've got the head of their Astrobiology Institute director out there taking issue with the virtual marketing campaign for the year 2012, I mean, for the movie 2012, saying that they're taking advantage of people's fears or whatever to promote their movie, but NASA's got a short memory because they're the ones who put out a report in 2006 saying that we would be facing the most powerful solar storms in history, in known history, in 400 years maybe of all time, and these could knock the world off the grid, send us back into the Dark Ages. Their report was supported 12 months ago in December by the National Academy of Sciences, who put out their own 152-page report. So there is a great deal that, that Christians could look at right now as the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, more earthquakes in this decade than in recorded history before that period of time. Tsunamis, strange weather patterns. The sun right now has gone quiet, and yet uh, uh, our scientists are telling us it's going to wake up with a vengeance in the year 2012. All of this stuff pointed at the year 2012, and then here is a prophecy on the great seal of the United States of America with a 13-step countdown pointed towards the year 2012 in which Apollo... Osiris uh, is going to return, who is identified in the New Testament as the coming of Antichrist. Is all of this a coincidence? Well, I'll tell you this. When you add it all up, Mike, when you take each point and add it all up as a coincidence and you use just simple mathematical standards, which you as a scientist understand completely, this times this times this times this times this, you wind up with a mathematical improbability that has to be in the hundreds of millions to one right. that all of these cultures over time could point towards this year as being significant uh, for it to come and go and not be significant, which is exactly what it might do. But on the other hand, there's a significant amount of information that makes us stop and point at it and say, is the world being set up uh, for a period of time in which the prophecy on the great seal of the United States is going to be fulfilled and a man of sin is going to appear? Well, let me make sure our listeners understand this correctly, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the, the 13 courses, they, they look at their dollar bill and they look at the unfinished pyramid. There are 13 rows of stones or courses of stones. 
And, and if I understand you correctly, according to the, the, these mind calendars, they believe that this period of time that they had set from 1776 in the records to 2012 were broken up into 13 time periods of roughly 19.7 years. That's exactly right. And, and, your, and your hypothesis is that these 13 courses of brick represent each of those 13 time segments landing directly at 2012 when basically the work will be finished, according well, to their view. Yeah, I would not say that, that, that I am absolutely convinced of that reality. What I would say is that it struck me as being highly unlikely. As, and, and, and the reason that I say that is because when I did discover this 500-year-old prophecy and was able to prove it, and anybody who wants to go into the Capitol Dome and look up <laughs> can verify my findings, I was able to prove that the uh, Freemasons who designed the, the uh, layout of Washington, D.C., the U.S. Capitol Dome, the Great Seal of the United States, the Washington Monument, they were absolutely familiar with these prophecies, and it was important enough to them. I mean, when you look at the, the frieze of American history, there's only so many paintings, and there's not that many. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they could have chose they could have chose 10,000 <laughs> different important moments in time, but they chose that. Why did they choose that? Well, because it was important to them. Everything they did was important to this, and this was commissioned artwork. This wasn't just some random guy who got a wild idea. He was painting what he was told to paint, and there was importance behind it. And then, of course, comes the lost symbol, the dome, the Washington Monument. This is where stuff starts getting really deep and very integral and important to their belief systems about why they chose to put this symbolism in their dome and on the great seal of the United States. And, and Mike, what I would say is this. Even if it is just a colossal coincidence that the year 1776 and 13 steps uh, over which hovers the prophecy of the all-seeing eye with the prophecy of the Novus Ordo Squorum, the return of that God, even if all of that is just a magnificent coincidence that it happens to match perfectly with my unbelief, it doesn't change the prophecy. Novus Ordo Seclorum is from the Apollinian priestess who prophesied the return of Apollo at the end of time who would give birth to a new pagan golden age is really the way that ought to be interpreted, but a new world order, and that spirit is identified in the New Testament as the coming of the Antichrist. So if everything else is just a wonderful coincidence, it doesn't change the fact that the prophecy on the great seal of the United States is a prophecy about the coming of a global leader who is identified in the New Testament in more than one place as the Antichrist. That is the great seal of the United States of America. That can't be disputed. That's what it prophesies. That's what it is. And these Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, the other mystics who were involved in the layout of this country were very familiar with this belief system. But if you follow this chain of thought, of course, and we're not talking about this tonight, but if you follow the chain of thought, it's because, frankly, among their mystics, they believed that uh, Yahweh, that uh, Adonai, was actually the bad god. <laughs> right. Guess who was the good god? I mean, mm-hmm. Lucifer was the good guy who tried to illuminate humanity. And this and switch Adonai... goes all the way back to Samaria, right? Back That's to the, right. In the Fertile Crescent, where the Enki and Enlil, they switched the roles. Uh, the, the library. Yeah, that's exactly right. And but but this is the base. This is the basis. This is the background 
of that belief system uh, upon which uh, modern Freemasonry is based. Now, I should tell people a couple of other things very quickly, and I won't get bogged down here, but number one, I do believe there were Christians in early America. I'm not saying that everybody who was involved in the founding of this country was, uh, you know, a mystic or a non-Christian or a Rosicrucian or whatever, but I would agree that, that um, Chris Pinto is absolutely correct historically. And there again, these facts cannot be disputed, that if you are only talking about those pilgrims that landed at Plymouth Rock, you would be able to say, yes, the country was based on Christian ideas. But when you look at the American Revolution, and that handful of people who were responsible for the framing of our Constitution, who signed the Declaration of Independence, most of them were Freemasons. This has been acknowledged even in modern times. Nancy Pelosi, a couple of years ago, when they had, what was it, Resolution 33, mm-hmm. you know, acknowledged uh, this fact that the country was mostly formed by these, mis- these adepts of Francis Bacon, who believed that this we were forming this country uh, to fulfill the Rosicrucian dream of a new Atlantis. That's what they believed. That was their belief system. Uh, and among these, uh, you know, were the not just the founders of the country, but the first president of the United States, Washington himself. And and and. Uh, but I would want people to believe that I also believe. I understand. I also believe there were Christians in the founding of the country. Not everybody in the founding of the country was out to create a uh, the fulfillment of a pagan dream. But if you go to Washington, D.C., if you look up at the apotheosis, for instance, of Washington, you don't see God the Father or Jesus Christ or Michael the Archangel. It's all pagan deities, pagan entities, because this is based on what their dream for the future was. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And I certainly hope you uh, enjoyed this last segment with Tom Horn. If you're like me, you're, you're shocked by the information that was uh, presented just even in this one segment uh, about the knowledge that uh, key figures in our past in the secret societies that uh, were key decision makers in America, uh, they actually went and got information from these ancient cultures like the Mayans and were able to superimpose this information. And we now have smoke and gun evidence due to Tom Horn's research, that they embedded this information in a ticking clock to unveil their plans for humanity uh, right within the dome of the Capitol building itself and on the great seal that we all have in the dollar bills in our pockets. Uh, We've had tremendous insights from people like Chris Pinto, uh, from many others who have contributed to our understanding about this, uh, this mystery, and Tom Horn has taken it yet a step further and tied in uh, a time period that they plan in their own goals uh, to unveil a plan and a destiny that America was, for lack of a better term, serving as a midwife uh, to create, which is a, a, a new age, a new world order of the ages, uh, not a, certainly a Christian plan, but a plan to exploit and use the opportunity of America to create an alternative world community and a leader as counter to God's plans. And I'll leave it up to you to do your own research, and I certainly suggest you get the book, check his references, uh, check his very bold claims, and see if they hold water, if they're legitimate to you. I find them absolutely amazing, and we'll know in the next few years uh, if they seem to be real or not. But someone who can tell you how to contact us to give us your feedback right now is Merv. So, Merv, tell them how to contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information.
Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we've got to go. Uh, please come back tomorrow for the next segment with Tom Horn. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And as we've mentioned earlier this week, I am going solo this week. Tom Bionic will not be able to be with us this week, and, but will be joining us remotely on Friday. But we have this week Tom Horn, who is the author of Apollyon 2012, The Lost Symbol Found and the Final Mystery of the Great Seal Revealed, uh, a mouthful of a, of a title of a book for a mouthful of information. Uh, this book, when you get it, you'll, you'll find more information packed between the pages than most any book that you'll ever get. And it's critically important information for the days ahead. And we're talking this week about America's purpose and end-time prophecy and its imminent conclusion revealed. So we're talking not only about who are the key players and what are they up to, bringing about the end of this age, uh, but the kind of time scales that they're uh, going for, uh, for all intents and purposes. And it turns out we may be seeing the dawn of amazing things at the end of this age. So I'll let you be the judge. Here is our third segment with Tom Horn, and we'll be right back to wrap up here at Future Quake. And here's the part that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's unrecognized, Mike, by most people in the world, and that is that Washington, D.C. and the Vatican, we won't talk about the Vatican tonight, but Washington, D.C. and the Vatican, uh, the layout of the Vatican City with the dome facing an obelisk, and in Washington, D.C., the layout of Washington, D.C., with the dome facing an obelisk. This is really the greatest conspiracy of all time, and this is integral to the lost symbol, the true lost symbol. It's sitting right out in the open. It's an ancient, magical, talismanic diagram. Anybody, any scholarship can verify what I'm saying the design of the dome facing the obelisk. That's a primeval concept. It was designed in antiquity for a very uh, intentional purpose, which was regeneration, resurrection, and apotheosis for deity incarnation from the underworld to the earth's surface using these alchemical figures. The dome, which was the ancient structural representation of the womb of Isis, and the obelisk, which was the ancient representation of the erect male uh, phallus of Osiris. In, in ancient times, the obelisk represented the god Osiris's missing male organ, of course, which Isis was not able to find after uh, Osiris was killed by Set or Seth um, and chopped into 14 pieces. And we won't go into the whole story about how he was chopped into 14 pieces and why and threw into the Nile and all that. But Isis recovered all of the pieces except for the phallus, which had been swallowed by a crocodile or a Plutarch, I think, says, uh, by a fish. But she replaced it with an obelisk. And using the obelisk, she magically impregnated herself with 
Osiris's seed and gave birth to her son, who became known as Horus. Of course, so uh, in Egyptian cosmology, Horus is resurrected Osiris. Horus is Osiris in flesh. When Horus dies, he goes into the underworld and becomes Osiris. That's the mythology. And that legend formed the core of Egyptian cosmology and, and was fantastically venerated uh, on the most imposing scale all throughout all of Egypt. That's why all throughout Egypt there are these towering obelisks, including at their most important religious centers, like Karnak, uh, where the upright obelisk of Osiris is vitalized or stimulated from the energy of the masturbatory sun god Ra shining down upon it. I don't want to get bogged down here in all the details, but I want people to understand this is based on ancient Egyptian cosmology. Um, but in America, you know, people might listen to what I'm saying right now and view uh, what I'm saying as being uh, pornographic, but it, but it was not. In their belief system, these were ritualized objects that had to do with procreation and life and the changing of the season. Um, but they believed that through their uh, incantations, through their alchemistry, they could use these as utilities that would draw forth the seed of Osiris from the underworld and incarnate him in flesh upon the earth. Now, in practical terms, how did Osiris... Now, now, now I've said that the layout of this is in both the Vatican and Washington, D.C., in practical terms, how were these utilities used? How did Osiris rise from the underworld through the use of these utilities? How did he become housed in a human body? Well, in Egypt, where raising Osiris to life through these magical constructs was perfected, um, the womb, if you will, the Dome of Isis, was a place where ritual sex was performed. Uh, imitative magic. And through the uh, imitative sex, the dome and the obelisk would become energy receivers. They would assimilate right. Ra's essence from the rays of the sun, which in turn would shine down upon and heat, if you will, the obelisk and draw forth the seed of the underworld of Osiris through the base or testes of the um, of the obelisk. And I, so I won't go into any more of the detail. But But the point is, this would bring forth the seed, which would then be emitted into the dome, the womb of Isis, the ever-pregnant belly. That's why it's designed the way it is, of Isis. And uh, she would stay constantly pregnant with a, a, a new Horus being born all the time. Well, Pharaoh in flesh was considered to be the fit extension. He was the, the leader of the country. He, so therefore, because he was the leader or the god, he was the person who the reborn god would take residence in as the sex act was ritualized. Um, and by the way, uh, Mike, even at the, the, the largest relig religious structure ever built, the temple of Amun-Ra at Karnak, where I think there's something like a hundred miles of walls, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> just f fantastic, Pharaoh there became the receptacle of the spirit of Osiris during what's called the festival of Opet, if people want to uh, go to Google and Google what I'm talking about. 
Um, it was held there at the Temple of Luxter. He would enter the Holy Womb Temple. Uh, beyond the obelisk, he would be transmogrified into the living deity there and become uh, Horus. This is the reason why now in the United States of America, let's, let's turn this for a moment. Well, can, can, I, can I take a crack at this, Tom, Go. <clears throat> as an outsider representing our listeners? Here's, <clears throat> here's where it senses to me you're going with this. <clears throat> you, you have mentioned there's two places in the world, Washington, D.C., which is the acknowledged leader of civil government in the world, a superpower, and then you've got the Vatican, which is the acknowledged leader of religious leadership in the world. Just so happen to be the two places that have this arrangement with the dome and the obelisk. As we know in, in Scripture, there will be a false prophet, a, a leader of a religious, uh, world religious activities, and then we have a world civil leader, the Antichrist, that will work together. Uh, in, in essence, they almost have their particular uh, places of veneration and worship pre-established. As I understand what you're saying with the with the pharaohs, as as one uh, dies. He takes over this role as Osiris in the underworld uh, while a new pharaoh was born and becomes the embodiment of the god. And in fact, what we've done, it appears to me, is recreated that on our own soil in America. Because as you've described this dome and the, I think, the apotheosis of George Washington, the picture for any kind of Christian that looks at it has made him into look like some kind of pagan god where he's achieved godhood. And, and, and the kind of the, the, the feeling or sense is, is that they, they in, in fact, invoke that God state when they take on that role in America. And just like the pharaohs, every president would take that role in. This is what this reminds me of. Am I on the right track yeah. of where you're going with this? Yeah, and anybody can verify this, Mike. I mean, the belief system that you're describing right now is what forms the core of the beliefs of both Freemasonry, both speculative and uh, other white tangible Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism, is, which was based on Egyptian belief. The idea that the Pharaoh was, just as the God who saw, uh, ciphered on the great seal of the United States will be, the sun, spiritual incarnation, of, the, of their supreme deity. And in Washington, D.C., the dome and the obelisk, are there for the metaphysical ritual, which, by the way, is performed. Uh, this is performed in secret by the elite with every passing United States president. I went to Washington, D.C. A friend of mine who's a lobbyist set this up through a congressman, and there are no 33rd-degree Freemasons who will, will repudiate what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I went there. I met with them. I took somebody with me to make sure that everything that was said was verified by somebody other than just myself. And they admitted that yes, I mean, but 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 look, anybody can verify this. It's part. It's called a raising ceremony. Anytime you reach the 33rd degree Freemasonry, you have to go through a ritual, which is the raising of Osiris from the dead into the body of the new leader. That's that that is called a raising. That's what it is. When you reach the 33rd degree Freemasonry, you have to go through the ritual that parodies exactly what we're talking about right now. And the dome and the obelisk are historically, undeniably, connected to this ritual, and that's the reason why it's in the United States of America. Um, and so, look... Um, what we got? What, what do we have? A half hour? Well, I, I don't know how much time that that you have available. Uh, I would certainly like if we could stretch it closer to uh, thirty-five minutes. 
if that's possible. All right, look, the obelisk, uh, you mentioned St. Peter's Square in Rome. It's not just any obelisk. Here's what people need to know. The obelisk in St. Peter's Square was transferred there from ancient Heliopolis. This is a city of On in the Bible, which was dedicated to Ra, Osiris, and Isis. In Washington, which is the mirror Vatican, according to its own history. And its original obelisk, name was, was Rome, right? Wasn't that the that's original? Right. It was actually named Rome. Um, uh, the obelisk that was built there by Freemasons, dedicated to America's first president, uh, George Washington, this is the tallest obelisk in the world. And, uh, um, and this is not being crude, but in mysticism, size matters. Right. That's the reason why it's the largest, because it has to be the final evocation, invocation of the incarnation of the deity that's being summoned. It's the tallest obelisk in the world. And the, everything about it is very important. Christians will find this to be absolutely fantastic. It is 6666 inches high. Some say 666.0 inches high, 555 feet. It is 666 inches wide along each side at the base. And, and, Mike, what these utilities will be used for in the, in the near future is also not without historical precedent. In the U.S., in fact, through Masonic alchemistry, presidential apotheosis, you mentioned the apotheosis of Washington inside the belly of ISIS uh, there, the U.S. Capitol Dome. Uh, the leader of the United States and their belief system basically is America's pharaoh. He's being transformed into a god within the Capitol Dome, within the womb of ISIS, and in sight of the obelisk of Osiris. This is the reason why when a president accepts his presidency, he walks out onto the steps of the Capitol and faces the obelisk. This, all of this has very important, magical, transformative, uh, important alchemical meaning. But all of this began with America's first president, George Washington. In fact, Mason's in attendance at um, Washington's funeral in 1799, cast sprigs of acacia, uh, and according to the official record, it was to, quote, symbolize both Osiris's resurrection and Washington's imminent resurrection in the realm where Osiris presides, end quote. In other words, according to Masonic enchantment, Osiris, Horus, was rising within the new president in D.C. as George Washington was taking his role as Osiris in the underworld. And when visitors to Washington, D.C. tour the Capitol, they find exactly what you were talking about. Uh, that when they look up inside ISIS's continuously pregnant belly, there in plain sight is the 4664 square foot fresco, the apotheosis of George Washington. Of course, the word apotheosis means to deify or to become a god. And actually explains the reason why U.S. presidents, uh, military commanders, members of Congress go to lay in state in the Capitol Dome, because the womb of Isis is where you would go at death to magically reach apotheosis and be transformed into a god. And those who believe that the United States Capitol, I'm talking about the capital city now, that it was designed on Christianity. But before you go into the whole city, let me just clarify. Both of these structures, the Washington the Monument and the Capitol, were laid, the cornerstone by Freemasons, correct? Yeah, and in very important periods of time, too, which we'll come to if we get a chance to do that. And there again, 
this is recognized by Robert Hieronymus. This is recognized by um, he, you said his name a minute ago, and for the life of me, I yeah, can't remember. Yeah, David, David Overson. Yeah, why? I'm going to have to write that down. <laughs> uh, I quote him several times in the book, but, but these are men whose work have been recognized by Congress. Um, Robert Hieronymus is the guy that's given congressional testimony about the meaning of this symbolism, and they are also both appreciated and recognized and endorsed by the highest 33rd degree uh um, Freemasonic Council out of Washington, D.C., out of the Herodome, out of the House of the Temple. So so we're not uh, saying something here that is a misinterpretation of the symbolism. Um, but, the, okay, so the Capitol Dome. Go to the Capitol Dome. I'm going to try to go quickly here because I definitely mm-hmm. want to get to the magical binding squares. Um and you if have you some go, new information for us tonight, too, as well. Oh, right? I hope we get to it. If we uh, Let's try real quick. Okay. You, uh, historic Christian artwork of the ascension of Jesus Christ is not in the Capitol Dome. Sorry to tell you, if you thought it was laid out based on Christianity, the heaven that George Washington is rising into from within the energized Capitol Dome or womb of Isis is occupied by pagan deities, important to Masonic belief, Hermes, Neptune, Venus, Isis, Ceres, Minerva, Vulcan, who is the god who energizes the seething energies of Lucifer in the hands of the Freemason. We don't have time to talk about that tonight, but that's based on their own writings. So what you have here, high-degree Masons and other Illuminatus, if they look at this symbolism of George Washington surrounded by these entities and being transformed into a heathen god, it's actually entirely appropriate. Because this is all rooted in the mysteries of ancient societies. It's all at the core of Rosicrucianism, the rituals of the Brotherhood that founded the United States, uh, the idea that chosen humans would be selected by supernatural forces and that their earthly kingdoms would be formed and guided by these gods. Well, George Washington was a deist. So as a deist, he would have believed that by following this enlightened path guided by Freemasonry, he would achieve apotheosis. He would become... Deified, and 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 uh, something that people will find uh, um, indisputable and yet startling in this book, Apollyon Rising 2012, are the references that I provide. Like in 1865, where you've got a card titled Washington and Lincoln's Apotheosis, where Abraham Lincoln is depicted transcending death to meet Washington among the gods. But what god did Lincoln become? Well, the humanist American poet Walt Whitman eulogized him as America's Osiris. Hmm. Commissioned artwork that fills uh, the the Capitol building, uh, like Horatio Greenow's 1840 uh, statue of George Washington, shows him as the god Jupiter, Zeus. And you got on one side of him, you got Hercules clutching his serpents. On the other side, you got Apollo, uh, and and uh, another representation of Washington inside the U.S. Capitol Dome, Jupiter Zeus, the the painting by uh, Rembrandt Peale that hangs in the old Senate chamber, where Peale uh, he painted this in what he called a poetic frenzy, which kind of startled me. <laughs> but, right. You know, he's got this oval uh, window. Uh, that, that uh, of George Washington, but it, but over which is Jupiter, and all of this symbolism continues to support what's also on the Great Seal of the United States. That Jupiter or Zeus, the father of Apollo, uh, is was the god according to their belief system that was watching over Washington and the founding of this country. In fact, Thomas Jefferson uh, picked the name 
Capitoline Hill, based on the old Roman uh, Capitoline Hill where Zeus or Jupiter was considered to be the greatest of the gods, he picked that for Capitol Hill. So uh, this was this was their this was their belief system. And, and by the way, this also extends into modern times. Uh, if we do a second part of this, we should talk about the fact that um, in in modern times you have the Congressional Prayer Room that was set up only a few decades ago next to the rotunda where representatives and senators go to meditate. And the centerpiece in that room is a stained glass window with George Washington. And, Mike, this blew me away. It, it shows him between the two sides of the great seal of the United States. What's striking about this, actually unprecedented about this feature, is that the order of the seal, seal is inverted against protocol. By that I mean the reverse side of the seal, which is supposed to be at the bottom according to standards, is above Washington's head, and the front of the seal, which is supposed to be at the top, is under his feet. And in that position inside the prayer room, Washington is seen on his knees praying beneath the uncapped pyramid in the all-seeing eye of Horus, Osiris, Apollo. So it's it's absolutely uh, an unprecedented um, stained glass depiction inside a prayer room that was set up. Of course, I think, <laughs> I think it, what it's meant to signify is very clear when you read the book and you understand the other parts of what we're talking about. Okay, I don't, I don't know how much time we have, and I do want to try to hurry as quickly as I okay. can. Okay, proceed. Okay, besides these pagan gods that accompany Washington inside the Capitol Dome, there's another part of the lost symbol. That has to do with numerology, magic squares. It's associated with the legend of Isis and Osiris. Um, it's encoded, by the way, throughout the painting of, of the apotheosis of Washington. Um, the entire scene beneath the apotheosis of George Washington is bounded by a very powerful uh, Pythagorean binding utility, 72 five-pointed stars within circles at the base of Isis's pregnant belly into which Washington uh, ascends. Why is this important? Well, a lot's been written in masonry about the relevance of the number 72. There's alchemistry, powerful. Probably the highest level of magic is related to this number. In Kabbalah, Freemasonry, Jewish apocalyptic writings, for a couple of reasons. One, because the number 72 equals the number of wings that Enoch received when he was transformed into Metatron. And if you read my book about uh, George Bush's comments about the angel and the whirlwind, how Enoch, according to this mysticism, is translated into Metatron, this is the most powerful of all angels. In this mysticism, Metatron controls all other angels. Uh, so if you are part of that mystical belief system, you run a, get this book, Apollyon Rising 2012, and thoroughly understand what was happening when George Bush gave his um, acceptance speech and referred to the angel in the whirlwind because it is central to this belief system. I won't have time on this radio show to go into all those details, but if you get the book, you read it, you'll understand. But in the context of the Capitol Dome, and the 72 stars that encircle Washington's apotheosis in the womb of Isis, Mike, the significance of the symbolism is a lot more than Metatron. Because in sacred literature, and this is including in the Bible, stars are symbolic of angels. 
And within Gnosticism, 72 is the number of fallen angels or cosmo creators that currently administer the affairs of the earth. Now, I, I know... I think in the past you've interviewed Dr. Michael Heiser, right? Sure, sure. I mean, and and there's indications, you know, 70 and 72 are used as uh, the sons of God of Benai Elohim that uh, are proposed to have taken over administration of the earth at the time of the tower. Uh, I think that the difference in those two numbers maybe could be clarified if you look at uh, others like uh, Michael, uh, who was responsible, the prince of Israel, and others where you can add up the numbers and come up between the 70 and 72. But th- th- that number st- just strikes you, for anybody who's a researcher of this, uh, as the administrators over the nations of the earth. And uh, certainly it goes back to the uh, Egyptian uh, legends of Osiris as the conspirators with Seth or Seth, who actually uh, combined together to to sacrifice him, to have a dying and rising God, correct? That's exactly right, and uh, consistent with that whole tradition, the designers of the Capitol Dome did three very important telling things. Uh, Number one, they circled the apotheosis of Washington with 72 stars uh, in circles. We'll come to that in a moment. Secondly, they dedicated the obelisk, the Washington Monument obelisk, 72 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And three, they placed 72 stones on the Great Seal's uncapped pyramid, above which the eye of Horus, Osiris, Apollo stares on the Great Seal of the United States. These three sets of 72, combined with their belief system and the imagery and occult numerology of the, number one, Osiris Obelisk, number two, the Isis Dome, and number three, the Oracular Great Seal. This is very uh, symbolic. Uh, of loosing and binding and controlling the 72 demons for the purpose of reestablishing a pagan order on earth, which has been an important part of the secret doctrine of the high-degree Masonic Illuminatus since its inception. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future, and uh, we've just concluded our third segment of our interview with Tom Horn, talking about Apollyon 2012, the lost symbol found in the final mystery of the Great Seal Revealed. Uh, and if you all aren't, if some of you listeners are not a regular to the Future Quake show, uh, this may be some really hard teaching what you've heard today, and it may be a shock, and certainly not what you're used to hearing on other Christian radio. Uh, most Christian radio, um, is extremely patriotic. It focuses a positive light on our country, our godly heritage, and you know, much of that, and, and certainly Brother Tom believes this, is a part of our heritage. Uh, we've certainly had godly influences from the beginning forward, and uh, much work for the kingdom has been done by people who've been citizens of our country. But we need to be aware that, as the Bible shows, uh, there is another force that is in control of the kingdoms of this world, and America is no exception. Even with our godly influence, um, history has a plan. Uh, it will unfold according to this plan, and even countries like America will have a part in a very uh, dark uh, and a a very sinister activity of the powers, the prince of the powers of this air. And Christians need to be aware of it and be sober-minded, particularly in the days we live in. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But right now, Merv can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com 
suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We've got to go now. We're running late. But uh, come back tomorrow for the last segment with Tom Horn. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. Uh, and as we've said earlier this week, this will be my last day to fly solo without our good friend Tom Bionic. He'll be joining us tomorrow for tomorrow's Trimmers. But we're concluding today our fourth and final installment of our interview with Tom Horn, who is the author of Apollyon 2012, The Lost Symbol Found and the Final Mystery of the Great Seal Revealed. And this is based upon some real epiphany that... Uh, Tom believes that the Lord provided to him, but it was built on a legacy of many, many decades of very intensive research that Brother Tom has done. And uh, it's like people have said, you know, uh, luck tends to happen to people uh, who work extremely hard. It's built on the back of hard work. And in fact, I think even inspiration of God usually comes from those who've been dedicated and diligently seeking him. And that certainly describes what Tom Horn has been throughout his uh, life of ministry. And we see this indicated, and I think there's been many interesting inspired revelations that uh, Tom has been given that may be pertaining to our country and to the world in the days ahead. So I recommend you listen to this last segment. Uh, It'll put the whole story together and give us much, much food for thought, and then we'll be wrapping it up here when we come back at the conclusion here on Future Quake. In order for the, excuse me, inevitable worship of Osiris or Apollo to be reestablished on earth, these 72 demons that govern the nations, that govern the earth, they have to be controlled. They're the ones Mm -hmm. that control all of this according to this belief system. Therefore, they are set in magical constraints on the Great Seal, the Washington Obelisk, the pentagram circles around the apotheosis of Washington in order to bind them and force the desired effect. If you look into Freemasonic belief, if you look, for instance, in The Secret Destiny of America, Manley Hall, who's considered to be their greatest philosopher, he writes about how the 72 stones uh, on the Pyramid of the Great Seal cons- uh, correspond to the 72 arrangements of the uh, Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of God in Hebrew. And he talks about how those four letters can be combined in 72 combinations resulting in the Shemham Forest and so on. The idea that the mystical name of God could be invoked to bind or loose the supernatural agents is something that is central to their belief system, and that's why the 72 stars are on the pentagram shape around the deified uh, Freemason George Washington. Um, But you have these magical books, the Grimoires, the Key of Solomon, the Lesser Key of Solomon, which is also important to their belief system, used by them, as a matter of fact. These identify the star systems, Orion, which is Osiris, the Pleiades, which is Apollo, or the home of these powers, 
and and these grimoires apply really import uh, a great importance to the pentagram shape. This is true, of course, in Satanism and all kinds of belief systems. The pentagram shape, the star, circled uh, within a circle. And, of course, we're probably not going to have time to talk about the unfinished circled pentagram in the street layout of Washington, D.C. But this is important symbolism, and it is used for binding and loosing supernaturalism. Well, adepts of Rosicrucian and Freemasons, they understand this, and they use these magical texts, the Key of Solomon, the Lesser Key of Solomon, to do just that, bind, loose, control the 72 demons over the nation. Well, this is something, Mike, that was well known by Francis Bacon. It was known by Benjamin Franklin. In fact, Franklin made his own magic squares and, and, and uh, pentagram shapes. Um, and they knew, I believe, that this magical binding, loosing of supernatural entities would also need to extend to the testes of Washington's 6666-inch high obelisk dedicated to Freemasons in the magical 72nd year following 1776, where there is a Bible. Now, this this is what we got to get to. Dan Brown, this was not a new revelation. In fact, I'd written about it before, but he identifies in his new book, The Lost Symbol, the Bible that is bound or that is within the foundation stone of the Washington Monument. It is contained within its 666-inch square base. Now, I wondered what type of Bible this is, because if it is a Masonic version of the Bible, then it's covered with occult symbols of the Brotherhood, Rosicrucianism. Right. In fact, Manley Hall had one of those versions of the Bible. He wrote about it. He talked about how it had more, more he said, more Masonic markings upon it than the Cathedral of Strasbourg. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but this version of the Bible, if it's a Masonic version of the Bible, the purpose of having it inside the um, uh, foundation stone of the Washington Monument might be to energize the Masons' interpretation of Scripture for the purpose of bringing forth the seed of Osiris from the testes of Cornerstone. But I don't think that's what it is. In my research, I've come to believe that it is a non-Masonic Bible and that the purpose of it is to bind its influence and therefore allow the seed of Osiris, Apollo, to come forward at the appropriate time. If we do a sequel, I'll tell you why I believe that. But it brings this very important question. Was the base of Washington's obelisk intentionally designed as a magic square? Magic squares, and the most important of all magic squares in history, are connected to the number 666 um, and occult philosophy. I think that that's exactly what the six, six, six inches along each side with a Bible bound in its cornerstone Washington Monument was designed to do based on thousands of pages and thousands of hours of research. And in fact, uh, I would actually challenge anybody that's an expert in the uh, ancient occult traditions to prove otherwise because there's only one way that these various symbols the Egyptian alchemical Domen obelisk, the 72 pentagrams at the base of the apotheosis, related to the 72 Solomonic demons, the 72 years later laying of the foundation stone, the 666 inches along each side of the testes of the obelisk, 
All of these have very important and known meaning for Rosicrucians, magicians, occultists, Kabbalists, Freemasons, down through time. The symbolism isn't open to interpretation. It's really not. It has fixed meaning. And it's for binding and loosing of angels, demons, the powers of heaven, or in this case, the Bible itself and its influence. Furthermore, Mike, and I'll give you uh, 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 something. Uh, by the way, I haven't talked about any of this on any other show, so you're the very first one. Mm -hmm. um, I would even contend that Mr. Dan Brown, the novelist, knew about this and actually may have originally intended to write about it and for some reason decided to hide it in his new book, The Lost Symbol. Why do I say that? One, because the working title for his new book was The Solomon Key. And the Solomon Key, or the Lesser Key of Solomon, are ancient grimoires, books of magic that use pentagrams and magic squares for controlling angels and demons. Both of those grimoires, the Solomon Key and the Lesser Key of Solomon, are very important to uh, both uh, Rosicrucian and Freemasonic adepts of alchemistry because of their legend that Solomon had to use 72 demons to create Solomon's temple, and he was protected from them by using the magical key and magic squares in the Solomon key and the key of Solomon. In Kabbalah, these magic squares, um, the square, I don't know if we have time to go into magic squares, but the squares, the total of their numbers, when you add them up, they represent the spirit or the demon of each heavenly body. For instance, a 9 by 9 magic square represents the moon god. A 4 by 4 magic square represents Jupiter. Well, a 6 by 6 magic square represents the sun god, Apollo. In Jewish literature, Soroth, the demon power that operates behind the sun god, or in Egyptian myth, Osiris. Anyway, back to my points about Dan Brown. First of all, I think he knew because the working title of his new book, The Solomon Key was very telling. Secondly, note that when his book was finally released, he retitled it as The Lost Symbol, which turns out in his book to be, guess what? The Bible that is bound inside the base of the Washington Monument. Third, the opening scene in his book, and upon which the whole story is based, is the raising ceremony the Masons go through when becoming a 33rd degree Freemason, which, rep which represents the finding of the body of Osiris or Apollo and raising him from the dead, Osiris, whose missing phallus is represented by the Washington Monument, Obelisk, and in their own uh, belief system, Osiris was slain by who? Set, and guess who? 72 demons. Um, next, Dan Brown's hero in the book winds up studying the apotheosis of George Washington inside the belly of Isis or the U.S. Capitol Dome in order to try to understand the mystery of all of this. And finally, the hero of Brown's book winds up trying to solve the riddle of the lost symbol get using what? A magic square. The 8 by 8 square related to Osiris, Isis, Horus. And yet, uh, Brown doesn't bring any of this to its natural conclusion, which can be discovered by anybody that, that follows the trail I've just given them. And so it, there, with, there's no doubt in my mind First of all, that Brown was aware of the magical binding utility mm -hmm. in the base of the obelisk of Osiris known as the Washington Monument because there's no way he would have tied the Solomon Key to the lost symbol 
the Bible in Washington's monument, and, and the Masonic raising ceremony of Osiris, the magic square of apotheosis of Washington. There's no way he would have made the connection between all of that if he didn't know. So the real question then becomes, why did he suddenly decide not to make that information public and instead turned his novel into a love fest with the Masons? Well, I asked a former... Uh, Freemason about that just this week, and he said, told me in no unconditional terms, he said it was because the Freemasons got to him. So uh, I know we're out of time. Let me let me try to conclude well, this. Let me, let me let me ask you this, Tom. I know you've got an interview to do shortly. Do you have ten more minutes with us, or let eight me try minutes? To. Okay. Uh, I, actually, I have about exactly ten minutes if I hang up. Okay. okay. All right. I mean, if I hang up in ten minutes, look. The the, the bottom line is this. I believe that Brown sold out, or he was afraid of something. Because if you remember, he uh, they announced his book, the working title was The Solomon Key, and then it went several years without being finished, and revision after revision after revision. He may have been afraid of something, and I don't know what, but I can tell you without reservation that this powerful magic binding utility exists on the grandest scale in Washington, D.C. Its purpose cannot be understood other than what the historic meaning of these symbols tell us they represent. And that, by, and that is the binding of the effect of the Bible and loosing the raising of Osiris with, with, within Washington, D.C. for the purposes of the Novus Ordo Seclorum. Clearly, the meaning is understood that way and can't be understood any other way. And, and let me tell you something else. I was interviewed last week by Congressman Bob Ney. I was interviewed right after that by U.S. Senator Rod Graham. And neither of those men who both have, who had long histories in the U.S. Congress refuted my conclusions. And in fact, Senator Graham invited me back on his show, and I did a second show. He wanted to know what all of this meant in terms of unfolding end times biblical prophecy. Um, Amazing. Yeah, well, and, and let me add one, one other final thing on this before I lose my train of thought. Um, the 666 magic square of the sun god, which is incorporated into the base of the Washington Monument, that's the most famous of all ancient magical binding squares. Um, why is because the sum of any row or column or diagonal is equal to the number 111, 111. While the total of all of the numbers in the square from 1 to 36, if you add each one up, 1 plus 2 plus 3, etc., equals 666. It makes sense, therefore, um, that the Freemasons had the Washington Monument built to be 555 feet tall above the earth. Because if you draw a line directly 111, which is what in any direction the numbers add to uh, in the magical 666 binding square, uh, if you draw a line exactly 111 feet below the Washington Monument towards the underworld of Osiris and add it to the 555 feet above Earth, it equals the total 666, the exact magical values of the binding square of the sun god. 
And so, given what we know about the esoteric beliefs of the Freemasons, if somebody believes that all of that is a coincidence, I've got some ocean farm property <laughs> in Arizona. I'd like to interest them in because it matches perfectly in the uh, within the numerology and also within the belief systems. And the purpose of it can only serve one thing, and that is bind the influence of the Bible to allow for the emergence of Osiris Apollo in fulfillment of the prophecies are upon the great seal of the United States. You know, this information is just devastating for your classic American evangelicals who see our country as a type of kingdom of God. Uh, subconsciously, I think they've superimposed our country as a representative of all that God is. You can just listen to our music, uh, conservative culture, evangelical culture. What you have just said is almost a dagger in the heart to some degree, and it's taken out of hard information. People get their books, you'll find it. It's been uh, you know, sufficiently and exhaustively researched. Where does this lead American evangelicals in understanding our culture, country? You know, we were seen as a shining light on a hill, spreading democracy, uh, spreading the gospel, you know, trying to spread liberty to the rest of the world. And on our show, we've documented week after week after week that we've been naive in our understanding and that the kingdoms of the earth, even America, are like the, how the Bible describes them, that they are under the subjection of the prince of the power of the air, even though there's wonderful Christian people here that are active and wonderful movements and things that God has done through it. Where does that leave us with this understanding now? And particularly, we may be looking at three years that are incredibly momentous ahead of us. It, it, it leaves us with a great responsibility. Look, um, when, when uh, 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 early Americans looked at the design of the great seal of the United States that contains this prophecy, they actually went to Congress. They went to government. This is actually part of American history in which they said, that if under a hypothetical annihilation of the United States of America, this is what they said, they said antiquaries of the future, that is people who, you know, study history, they would, they would view America as, have been, as having been a heathen or pagan nation based on the symbolism on the great seal of the United States. So there were others, you know, a hundred years ago who understood this symbolism on the Great Seal, and then this knowledge was lost for some reason to uh, moderns. Uh, but they understood it, and they said, you know, we want something that would reflect the large number of Christians that are within this nation. Well, of course, Roosevelt, who was a Mason, was against it until it was pointed out that the ambiguous nature of the term God being placed uh, between, you know, the two sides of the Great Seal and the U.S. dollar in God we trust, wouldn't necessarily mean anything. If you look at the symbolism on the Great Seal and you were strange to this country and you said, well, what God are they talking about? You would determine that, of course, it would have been a Freemasonic God and not the God of the Bible. So th this issue has come up before where Christians have said, but wait a minute. You know, the, we are a shining light on a hill. We have sent the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Um, these are separate issues, Mike, and what people need to understand is that we are not of this world. When Jesus came into this world, he was persecuted by the, the leaders, uh, uh, especially the religious leaders 
of his period and time. And what did he say to his disciples? You know, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. So we're here, we're ambassadors, and we are, in a, we are both in a heathen and hostile environment. We are in a world that is under the control of evil supernaturalism. Uh, thankfully, we are protected by Jesus Christ. And eventually, every knee and every tongue, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is God, is Lord. Um, but until that day, we are in a world that is filled with hostile principalities and powers. We are at war, the Apostle Paul said, against the principalities and powers and darkness of this world. And we are moving towards an epic moment in time in which the incarnation of Satan on earth and the personage of the Antichrist will fulfill the prophecies that are upon the great seal of the United States of America. Apollyon is coming. Apollia, Apollo, Osiris, the grand architect of the universe, according to their uh, esoteric belief system. He is coming. He is going to be embodied in the personage of a man who will at first appear to have the answers to all of life's problems, and the world will flock around him. But he's not going to be what he pretends to be. He's going to defile the temple of the Jews. He will emerge as the great man of sin, and there will be great tribulation. And uh, we are moving towards that period in time. But Christians ought to look up, first of all, and recognize that the redemption draws nigh, so this is, this is a positive moment in time. The second thing, Mike, I would say, and it's why I wrote this book, God has given this generation of believers a moment to reach an entire generation. If you look at the world right now, I was on the phone with Terry James of Rapture Ready just before I came on the air with you, and I said, Terry, I believe that God has given us a generation, the whole world right now, not just church people, not just preaching to the choir, the world right now is asking for answers. Uh, and they want to know, what, what does this year 2012 mean? And what is happening within our world? And what's happening with the economy? And the talk about the replacing of the U.S. dollar. And everybody from, from uh, you know, Henry Kissinger to, to uh, Nancy Pelosi talking about the emergence of a new world order. What is all this discussion? It has this whole sense that it is very prophetic. Right now, people who wouldn't darken the doors of a church are asking these questions, and I can tell you because I do about eight shows uh, a day right now, that many shows that would have ten years ago would have never even wanted me on are inviting me to come on to their secular shows, and they are asking me questions. Does this fit with biblical prophecy, and what do you believe, yeah. and what's happening, and what's going on? So the church has been given a fantastic opportunity right now, and that is to speak to a generation that is hungry for answers, and we are the ones that have the right answers. So it's a splendid opportunity. Well, I know our time's up, and you've got another interview to do, so can you please tell our listeners how they can get a hold of your book and begin their own research in this area? Uh, certainly, they can go to ApollyonRising.com. Apollyon is A-P-O-L-L-Y-O-N, ApollyonRising.com. And uh, they can find out all about the book over there. Of course, they can go to you know Amazon or Barnes and Noble or or wherever they want. And they'll also find the book there. Now, now that's not a Polyon Rising 2012. It's, uh, it's the website actually is either. 
Okay. If you go to if you go to apollyonrising.com or apollyonrising2012.com, either of those domains will take you to that website. Wonderful. Oh, and by the way, I should say, we have a contest going on right now. It's getting near to the end. We're going to give away ten thousand dollars of my money. Remember that old win Ben Stein money? Right. Ben Stein's money. Yeah, I'm 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 insane. I'm crazy. I don't know why I ever agreed to do this, but right now, if a person can solve a series of eleven um, uh, puzzles, and most of them are really easy up until the last couple, um, we are going to give ten thousand dollars of my money to the first person that solves a series of eleven clues, and I think more importantly, we are also going to give them the lost symbol. Dan Brown was looking for it. We've got it. It's actually 30 years older than the Washington Monument, and we're going to give it and $10,000 to the first person that can solve a series of 11 clues. They can go there uh, to apollyonrising.com. They can watch the uh, YouTube video. Those videos have been downloaded about 70,000 times now in the last few weeks. So there's a lot of people participating, but they can go there. They can learn all about it. We're going to give it to somebody. I'd love to see a ministry get it. I don't care. Uh, uh, that an individual does, but whoever does, um, it's, it's all getting close to the end now. It's gonna, uh, I think the contest ends in about three weeks. So if people want to participate in that, they can. Okay. Well, there's a million questions I wanted to ask you. I had to bite my tongue during this because this information needed to get out. If we could have you back sometime when you catch your breath on your uh, world tour. We'd like to have you back and do, uh, this has raised more questions as well as answered them. And I've got a stack of questions here I want to ask you, uh, to take this the next step forward. Well, uh, Mike, as always, thank you for having me on your show. You're all, you're a gentleman, you're a scholar, and, uh, you're always very kind to everybody that you have on your show, and I appreciate you. Well, you're, you're a treasure, you're a national treasure, and mentor <laughs> all of us. And, uh, get on to that next interview, but please come back and see us again soon, would you? All right, Mike. God bless you. Thank you, and God bless. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future, uh, and that's the conclusion of our interview with Tom Horn, author of Apollyon 2012, The Lost Symbol Found and the Final Mystery of the Great Seal Revealed. Uh, I highly recommend you get this book. Um, This brief period of time we had together does not do justice for the depth of the material that he has researched and has uh, referenced exhaustively in his book with hundreds of references uh, justifying and backing up the information he shared that has reinforced over and over again the point he has made that our nation was laid out in culmination of hidden knowledge that has been collected over the millennia with an ancient goal of a secular new world order uh, that actually would have pagan influence uh, not only over this nation but over the rest of the world via our nation itself. It's something that's very difficult for those of us American, uh, particularly evangelical Christians, to hear. We're a very patriotic group. Uh, we like to emphasize the godly influence in our nation. Uh, we believe that God has used our nation for many good things, and in fact, that's true. But we need to be sober-minded, as we said yesterday, uh, for the days ahead, which means we need to recognize things for what they are. And the more you study this and are diligent, you will find that there have been forces that have used our nation, just like others before. But our nation is a special nation, but it appears to be part of a culmination of activities that may lead to the end of this age, uh, if uh, Brother Tom's findings and his hypotheses are correct. 
Uh, I think when you read his material in depth, uh, you will be impressed and motivated by his findings. But we'd like to hear from you and, and let us know what you think about them. So Merv can tell you here how to contact us here at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. All right, that's the end of our show with Tom Horn. We'd certainly like to have him back. There's much more material we could have discussed. Uh, I tried to let him do most of the talking because he had so much material to cover, but we'd like to have him back again. Just let us know if you would like to have him back to talk about this more. Come back tomorrow for tomorrow's Tremors. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, secret agent man on location, Bionic. <laughs> it's great to be back with you, ladies and gentlemen, back for another Friday for another Future Quake Show. And uh, our dear friend Tom Bionic, not only was he not with us during our interview this week with Tom Horn, but uh, he is in, as we say, uh, parts unknown right now. Uh, he's oh, I thought you were going to say La La Land. <laughs> well, that's every week. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, you're you're in a remote place right now, a remote, uh, unmentioned place. Um, hold up in a car. Um, let me ask you this: if uh, uh, if you're being held against your will, can you say the secret code word? Bacon. Okay. Well, then you're obviously okay then, because you wouldn't say bacon otherwise. So I just want to make sure for our <laughs> listeners. Now you made me hungry in Pyro too. Hey, by the way, Pyro has filled your seat in here as a co-host, so uh, he's taking over. Well, he's trying to raise the standards a little bit. Well, at least he's keeping it warm. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you can join us. I know you were called away at the last minute uh, yep. for for some unforeseen circumstances, but uh, for all of our Futurians out there who would be crushed if Tom Bionic was not here, particularly for for and I almost said what today is. Even in your remote location, can you tell our listeners what Friday means on Future Quake? Well, you know what it was? Well, I'll tell you what it was for me today. Today was the day that I had a little bit of Lardo, Lardo de Colonnade with uh, some uh, uh, a little crostini and some uh, goat cheese. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just like what I had growing up in, in middle America. Uh, it was good. You it had what? Good. I can't even pronounce what you had. I had I had this thing called lardo, which is a. Uh, well, we had lots of lard growing up. My, my aunt used yeah. to use it to make uh, popcorn. She'd put a big scoop of it in there. Oh wow! Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little intense, but no, this wasn't it. This was kind of an Italian, like an Italian thing. It's like. Oh, I thought you meant uh, lard, lard. No, there's actual oh. there's a, there's a that oh you heard on me oh, that you okay. heard me put on the end of that it's not oh, a joke. okay lardo it's thing. yeah oh, it's an oh. actual thing called lardo huh uh, it 
sort of like bacon, but maybe a little bit more. It's got, you know, has a fancier flavors. name. Yeah. Yeah, it's an Italian thing. I actually have some. I'll bring you. Oh, I'll wow. bring you some. Okay. At some point. Well, having having clarified that, uh, here in the Future Quake Studio, it is tomorrow's tremors or today's review of the future's news. Well, uh, yeah, we could call it. I mean, I thought I would get the important stuff too. Lardo right. and goat cheese Friday. Well, <laughs> it's good for you to like be with us. <laughs> hey, before we go into our stories this week, do you have any other announcements? Anything for our futurians they need to know about? Oh, I can't. A lot of top secret stuff going on. We'll uh, we might be making some really great announcement here, right at about the first of the year. But we'll we'll see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's everybody's going to be thinking about that on Christmas Eve night. Instead of enjoying time with their families, they're going to be thinking about what's the big secret Tom Bionics alluding to. I'll be up at 3 a.m. looking at their ceiling, going, "What is he talking about?" All those people in Times Square are all going to be talking about it, you know, when the ball comes down on New Year's Eve. So people are just exactly. gonna have to people are just gonna have to wait, huh? A few few weeks. Yes. All right. Well, in the mean in the meantime, do you have a story for us you'd like to share with us? Oh, why don't you go first this week? I think I went first three or four times in a row now. Are you sh- are you sure? You- yeah. Okay. Yeah, you okay. Go, you go first. Okay. Well, I'm gonna take a break from Eric Prince and Blackwater this week, and uh, talk talk about Iran. Okay. Now, this first story I have comes from Debka which is a site uh, mostly written, I think, by the Israeli Defense Forces. So uh, there's usually some good truth in it mixed with a little uh, sort of promotional information, you might say. So, Yeah, I, I think our yeah. listeners just have to, you know, it, it is a regular site people go to hear things sort of ahead of the game, uh, but consider yeah. the source here. But the title is, Iran, uh, if attacked, Iran wants Syria to hit back at Israel, Damascus hedges. Uh, it says, uh, Debka files military sources report that this uh, message, Iran's defense minister, Ahmad Bahidi, brought to Damascus, where he is attending a session of the High Iranian Syrian Defense Committee, which went into its second day, Thursday, December 10th. Syrian Defense Minister Ali Habib is in the chair. The Iranian visitor indicated that Tehran expects an Israeli attack within a month. Now, that would be by the middle of January, okay, or before. According to Iranian intelligence, Jerusalem will take its green light from President Barack Obama's forced admission after Christmas that his policy of dialogue and stiffer sanctions have failed in the face of Tehran's rejection of the international proposal to send its enriched uranium to overseas processing. The countdown for war is coming close to its end, said Vahidi to the Joint Defense Committee, and we must get our strategic partnership in shape ahead of time. Okay, the lead motif of the Iranian Defense Secretary's talks in Damascus was the fate Iran and Syria share in their strategic partnership as the only safeguards against what he called American-backed Zionist aggression. Syria must commit itself to joint military action against Israel because a stronger defense tie between Iran and Syria are elements of deterrence in confronting the Zionist regime's threats to the countries of the region. And it says, for the first time, General Vahidi openly threatened to respond to a possible Israel attack on Iran's nuclear facilities by striking Israel's chemical, microbiological, and banned nuclear weapons production sites. Okay, you know they have a, a nuclear plant, you know, in the, in the south of uh, Israel there. Uh, it says, yeah. his, his message brought forth a tepid Syrian response. 
The Iranian news agency Erna reported Syrian Secretary of Defense Ali Habib as commenting early Thursday that an attack on Iran by any party would be deemed an attack on Syria and draw commensurate retaliation. But Deb Kafal's military sources point out that the comment did not satisfy Tehran because it is short of clear language pledging specific military action. Iranian officials uh, mean to stay in Damascus and keep the pressure until they elicit a firm binding Syrian commitment to strike Israel uh, on its allies' behalf if Iran comes under attack. General Vahidi uh, arrived in Damascus uh, Tuesday aboard a special Iranian military craft. It carried the largest Iranian military delegation ever seen in the Syrian capital, representing every branch of Iran's armed forces, Revolutionary Guard Corps, and intelligence. Preparations for coordinated retaliation for a potential Israeli attack also brought a top Hezbollah delegation coming from Lebanon to Damascus Tuesday night, headed by its Secretary General Hassan Nasrallah. When they met, Syrian and Iranian military officials proposed that Hezbollah and the Palestinian terrorist organization start heating up Israel's borders in the coming days to draw the attention from the world's focus on the Iranian and Syrian nuclear programs. Uh, in conclusion here, it says that Iran thinks, uh, see, uh, Washington sources reported that the Obama administration was about to launch a campaign against Syria's covert military nuclear program based on the smoking gun of traces of highly processed plutonium found by UN inspectors at the bombed Syrian North Korean facility at Deir Azur. The, the campaign will focus on this finding as evidence of Iran's covert nuclear facilities and proliferation activities. So, oh, well, that's a that's an interesting one there. I, if if I, you know, as you mentioned earlier, because of the source, you just have to wonder if it's true or not, and if if so, just how much is true and or exaggeration, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know what's they tend to, and that would be you know exaggeration would be a good idea, a good yeah. way to say that they tend to like base something on truth and then right stretch it a little bit out of proportion, so there's probably some kernel of truth in there somewhere. Right, and they're, and they're right often enough to warrant reviewing their website. Uh, be very curious to see if that is the general consensus within a month. Uh, I know I'm certainly yeah. glad to be out of there, and the way circumstances have happened in the last week, it doesn't appear I'll be going back anytime in the near future, but uh, as I, I think I mentioned on our show last time, uh, when I was there uh, in the last couple of weeks, and I asked him, I was standing on Israeli soil, I said, uh, how far are we from Damascus? And I recollect them saying 20 kilometers, which was 12 miles oh. away. So if you yeah, can imagine even, yeah. uh, one, one of your severe enemies just being 12 miles away from where you're standing. I think Isaiah 17, everybody in our audience ought to read that again in uh, Psalm 83. And uh, look at that, excuse me, or Psalm 82, I'm sorry. Uh, and actually look at that again, I believe it's Psalm 83, and uh, see what could be the next war that has prophetic significance. It doesn't, yeah, talk, it doesn't well, talk about Persia or Iran as much, and I don't think this kind of attack would obliterate Iran, but it could obliterate Syria, caught in the middle. Yeah, it could, it could really, really kill the, kill the love going on there around Christmas time, you know. <laughs> In Syria, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm ex- something like that goes down. Well, I'm expecting that this would happen after the first of the year, but I would encourage all of our listeners, I know you feel the same way, to pray that war does not happen. Heaven forbid sure. we as Christians get so bloodthirsty that in our desire to see Bible prophecy unfold that we 
you know, look forward to seeing this terrible destruction, a lot of innocent people and children and women and children and other innocent parties. There'd be people on the Israeli side and Syrian and Iranian, a lot of innocent parties hurt by this. And uh, I know there was a, a story I didn't have, um, but there is a, 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 a I guess, a treaty, not a treaty, but a uh, something being signed, a document uh, by evangelical leaders uh, asking that they pour the heat up on Iran and try wow. to have you heard have you heard about this I haven't no this is all news to me yeah Richard Richard Land is one of the key signatories a spokesman for the Southern Baptist but uh, I'll need to pull something right. like that up we can talk about it later but they're really trying to trying to provoke Iran and this is some kind of document where they're they're getting into military planning our uh, Christian leaders <laughs> that's so that is so Anathema to the cause of the cause of Jesus Christ. If that, if that, if what you're saying is true, that is just. Uh, I was going to say it shocks me, but actually it doesn't shock me. Well, you know, we, we've been doing such a great job of winning the world over, you know, to Christ that we have a lot of free time, so we can get involved in the, you know, yeah, who we go attack and send missiles to and things like that. So, anyway, that's that's something maybe we can share for for another show when you come back. Um, okay, yeah, that's that's a that's a long-winded story, but me, what you got for for us? Well, we got a whole bunch of things. We got um, uh, we've got drug dealers using child care as front up in Wisconsin. Why don't you use, uh, why don't you we, do that one? I want to hear that one. All right, it's it's a little bit long. It's a little bit on the long side. I'll try and just hit the just dust the high points here. Okay. Uh, this is from the Journal Sentinel, uh, which is I believe a Wisconsin newspaper. More than a dozen Wisconsin child care centers have reaped millions of dollars in state subsidies, uh, had close ties to drug dealing operations, including big-time crime bosses, a journal Sentinel investigation has found. The newspaper identified 16 child care centers with recent connections to drug operations, and the number is likely much higher. Those 16 alone have collected more than $8.5 million in public subsidies since 2006. Records show many of, this, of those centers have been used to stash and transport drugs, launder dirty cash, and provide fake employment for criminals at taxpayers' expense. In an ongoing investigation that has spanned more than a year, the Journal Sentinel has revealed rampant fraud within Wisconsin shares, the state's $350 million child care subsidy program. The investigation has spurred sweeping reforms by lawmakers and regulators, led to more than 130 child care centers losing public funding and resulting in criminal charges against several providers. But the problems don't end with the unscrupulous parents and providers teaming up to scam subsidies. In June, the Journal Sentinel reported nearly 500 child care providers had criminal records, some including felony convictions this investigation went further. It found the tentacles of some child care centers also extended dangerous criminal operations. In one case, a gunman burst through the door of a home-based child care business, stuck a gun in the face of an eight-year-old girl, and demanded money from the provider. Police believe the invasion was drug-related. In another instance, police found cocaine, marijuana, and cash in a home children were being cared for by a Sheboygan Falls daycare provider whose husband was a suspected drug dealer. And yet another, a Milwaukee child care provider, gave $10,000 to her live-in boyfriend 
a convicted drug dealer who had used the money to buy two kilos of cocaine from an undercover cover cop in 2007. It is unclear whether the money used for the drug purchase came from the Wisconsin shares, but the woman was paid $39,621 that year by the state through the program. She was on pace to collect 50000 this year and remained in business until Friday when the state yanked her license in anticipation of the story. It's funny that they, they yanked her license in anticipation of the story. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah, not because she had done some horrendous things. That's right. This is outstanding, and the government is fostering this. Said, And that's the, the very interesting comment, commentary. This is outstanding, and the government is fostering this, said State Representative Mark Gundrum. Uh, he's a Republican from New Berlin, who has introduced legislation to reform the troubled Wisconsin shares program. To tell this story, the Journal Sentinel cross-referenced databases containing search warrants and court records with child care providers. It also reviewed hundreds of pages of police reports, federal indictments, state child care records, criminal complaints, uh, and property property liens. Um, and that's kind of the that's kind of the highlights. It, the story goes on and on and on, but and it just gets weirder from there. But that's really kind of the gist of it. So uh, it it appears that you know there's at least 16, if not more, uh, uh, state-run or state-subsidized child care centers that are nothing more than a front for drug dealing. And uh, to the to some point, they, it appears that they've been enabled by the state to get away with this. Wow. You know, this is one of those situations where you almost wish Acorn was there to run it better. Yeah, at least... That's how bad it is. A little bit more honest, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, you know, does that mean like when they take over all of our health care situations that that's what we can look forward to? Yeah, well, that was was one of the things that struck me as well, is uh, look look how well they've done... Just running a state-run daycares, not even state-run, state-subsidized daycares. They're privately run with state subsidies, and all these subsidies invariably run to drug drug runners, drug dealers, and people with felonies. So that's the people you want providing your health insurance. My goodness. And I keep telling you, man, you gotta help a juicer. You know, You're right? You do some beef there's some Yeah, but we wouldn't want any of those kind of, uh, you know, dangerous people that have uh, homeopathic remedies. Government wants to protect us from those people because they know how to, you know, handle the taking care of our families in a responsible way, like your story indicates. Yeah, heaven heaven forbid that you go and you actually go to a private farmer and get, you know, farm fresh eggs or... Parents can make like, par- parents can't make their own decisions about how to take care of their family. They need government agencies like the one you just read. To, uh, yeah, there was a story. That, there was a story that came across my desk just just today as I was reviewing stuff for this show, and I didn't get a chance to print it off. But uh, basically, the upshot was in Great Britain, this 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 child was uh, he was like a 12th grader, uh, was a little bit a little bit on the on the light side for mm-hmm. his for his age weight wise, and the doctor recommended that uh, you feed him junk food for six months to get him to put on a little more weight. And the family, the the mother and father said, uh, "We'll give them extra food, but we're not going to give them, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, little Debbie kicks and stuff like that. We're right. we're just not going to do that." So, child care services, uh, whatever that government agency there, 
uh, heard about it and uh, took the kid away from four, for four months and plopped him down in front of the TV and made him eat Little Debbie cakes for four months. Hmm. <laughs> and, hmm. Yeah, that's 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 crazy. That's craziness right there. Wow. Parents are trying to do the right thing, and when and because a doctor recommends that a kid, you know, needs to put on weight, and this is how it, you know, and needs to eat junk food and watch TV. Yeah, uh, the parents say, uh, we'll look after him. You, you know, this reminds me of what what the guys at Christian Exodus who are here, and some other people I've heard like them, who had their children at home, and as far as I know, the government doesn't even know they have their children. Now, I'm not saying necessarily the children, the Christian Exodus guys. I don't want people going and looking for them. Uh, but it was somebody, if not them, it was it was another group that I was listening to. And everything they've done, they've done outside the government circles and taking their care of their children. And, yeah, of course, well, the kid had, didn't have a Social Security number, you know. But I'd have to think that would be an envious position. Well, I'll tell you, man, I had some, I had some friends of mine that actually uh, – their, the mother and father were sort of part of the uh, very intense about the hippie thing, you know, yeah. very, very big hippies and really wanting them to, to drop out of society and all that right. stuff. And they were they were born, and um, they didn't have Social Security numbers. It's a brother and sister. They yeah. don't have Social Security numbers. They don't – they never pay taxes. Uh, they, they're, both, they're both extremely, extremely talented musicians. Right. Uh, and so when they go out on tour, they pay in cash. Yeah. And uh they always they always work in cash and um you know they've never uh, you know like you said they grew up throughout throughout their whole life uh living in sort of a farmy environment right, you know, right. commune type, type environment and uh um you know the more I go on the more I think that's not that's yeah. not that bad of a thing as far know? as the system knows you don't yeah. exist it may be yeah. a little hard renting a car but uh, aside from that I'd say it'd have a lot of advantages yeah. Well, hey, well, there, it's I'm interesting. Sorry. They're so it's interesting. They're so talented that um, money, as as far as like long term needs and stuff, is not right. really that big of an issue because they're always they're they've been very successful in the music industry. Huh. But um, wait, go ahead. Wow. Now you're not talking about like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, is it? As far as I know, they're not brother and sister. Okay. Okay. I didn't know. I just thought uh, the carpenter. You know, maybe. unless you have some more information about him than I do, <laughs> I don't. Well, I've, no. can I can I share one that's a little upbeat kind of thing here, getting here toward the end? Um, <clears throat> many Americans believe in reincarnation, ghosts, and astrology. This is from Reuters. Nearly 30% of Catholics surveyed that they believe in astrology. <clears throat> uh, although most Americans are Christian and many are devout, it hasn't stopped some members of the flock from believing in astrology, reincarnation, or the ability of trees to trap spiritual energy. A poll by the Pew Forum... <laughs> A poll by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life shows that a surprising number of U.S. adults claim to have had supernatural experiences, such as ghost sightings or hold beliefs associated with the New Age movement or Eastern religions. And some of them claim allegiance to more traditional faiths, such as Catholicism or Evangelical Protestantism. American religious folks hold a variety of views, and there's overlap among their beliefs and practices. Many do not fit into simple boxes, said Pew researcher Alan Cooperman. The poll released on Wednesday showed that 3 in 10 Americans say they have felt in touch with a dead person, and 18% say they have seen or been in the presence of a ghost. Other Pew surveys have shown that relatively few Americans would identify an Eastern religion or New Age spirituality as their core faith. 
but about a quarter of those surveyed said they believe in aspects of Eastern religions. Nearly 25% said they believed in reincarnation, and 23% said yoga was a spiritual practice. 26% said they believed spiritual energy could be found in objects such as trees. A quarter said they believed in astrology, while 16% of U.S. adults think that an evil eye exists or that some people can cast curses or spells on others. Among black Protestants, the evil eye figure is 32%. The number of Americans who profess a belief in astrology is about the same as the number who claim to be Roman Catholic. Nearly 30% of Catholics surveyed said they believe in astrology. Among Catholics who attended church each week, the figure was 16%. Much of this would be jarring to, among others, many evangelical Protestants who account for one in four American adults and take their Bible very seriously. Still, 13% of white evangelicals profess a belief in astrology, and about 10% accepted the possibility of reincarnation. Although the percentages are lower in other groups, they are high enough to curl the hair of a Southern Baptist preacher. Researchers said they were careful to stress that reincarnation meant re being reborn again and again in this world and did not refer to, say, the resurrection of Christ. Evangelicals who place a heavy emphasis on spiritual conversions are much more likely than most Americans to have had a religious or mystical experience. That is a moment of religious or spiritual awakening, according to the poll. And about half of Americans claim to have had such an experience, uh, but among evangelicals, the number is 70%, and black Protestants at 71%. And this was from a nationwide survey of 4,000 adults conducted in August, done in English and Spanish. Very so, interesting. So. Uh, that, there's, some, there's some positive to that, actually, I think. Uh, it's not as all, it's not as, it's not as bad as, one would think, you know, I listen to some of those things and I think, you know, some of those things I believe in too. I just don't believe that they're from... Like reincarnation? No, I don't believe in that. What about the, tr <laughs> what about the tree energy? I bet you that one. Um, no. Okay. Although, you know, that's maybe why maple syrup is so good. Could be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe they'd seen H&R Puff and stuff where they, those trees were living on there. Oh, that's yeah, my, there you that's go. my generation. But, you know, the thing is, you know, when we do our show here and we assume our evangelical audience, um, we presume people have a general basic understanding of the Bible and its basic principles as a presumption, but we should not uh, because many of these very fundamental things a lot of evangelicals are not certain about. And like you said, we're, we're an open-minded group here. Some of these things maybe could have a little bit of a gray area to it, but, you know, like the mystical experience. I mean, we certainly believe in a born-again conversion experience. But uh, there is there is no there's nothing um, there's no archetype there no no you know uh, very clear cut and dried thing of an evangelical that we should presume uh, there's a wide spectrum of beliefs I think basically due to misinformation or lack of knowledge of the Bible. Sure, sure. I, I was I was going to follow up my original comment there and say that um, uh, you know a lot of those things are the reason that the reason that people believe in them is they do have some sort of modicum of uh they do sort of work just for not the reasons that people think they work right, not the, right. The, stars aren't, the stars aren't controlling you uh it's 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 it has more to do with uh a disguise from the spirit world similar right. to uh right. things like joe jordan deal with well i know where you're coming from with that you know they talked about the evil eye and the spirit curses that's a very simplistic yeah. view of deciding things but there are people in there that practice dark activities in witchcraft Oh yeah, and we should yeah. be aware they you exist. To, yeah, I have a friend of mine who uh -huh. deals with uh, helping people out of out of cults and stuff. Yeah. And uh, you ought to you ought to see some of the emails he gets from people. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, 
I tell wow. you, we, we've got to go. If Merv needs to tell us how you all can contact us here at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Futurians, email us your predictions for 2010 so we can read them on air for our annual prediction show, but be sure to get them to us before January 5th. Okay, that's it. We're done. All right, man. Oh, okay. that's too bad. I was just getting into it. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. We'll have to do a double hitter next time. Thanks for joining us from a remote location. And yeah. uh, please come back again next week for our next guest. Yeah. I, th- I think we're going to have an intriguing discussion. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. And until next week with our new set of shows, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.